In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My name is Father Matt. I'm one of the co-rectors here at the table. Today, we proclaim the good news that since the very beginning, women have been leading the church. Proclaiming good news, even priesting and profiting in the presence of powerful men. The good news is that God's Spirit isn't sequestered into just one gender. God's authority is given to everyone among us. Let us give thanks for women in our midst today. Isaiah says, Climb a high mountain, O woman of Zion, and proclaim good news. Raise your voice with power, O woman of Jerusalem. Who proclaim good news. Raise it, daughter. Fear not, daughter. This phrase, woman of Zion, is either a female prophet or the city of Jerusalem herself stylized as female. Either way, we see the feminine associated with the proclamation of good news. Thank God for the woman of Zion. Thank God for the woman of Jerusalem who raised it and wasn't scared. Our text from Romans today, we see something similar. Paul says, I commend to you all our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea, so that you all may receive her in Christ as is worthy of the saints. And stand by her in whatever thing she may need of you, for she has been a benefactress of many and of myself as well. We got to talk about the church in Rome and Phoebe because her story is incredible. Parenthetically, this is one of the reasons why we're using this lectionary this year that Dr. Wilde Gaffney put together, the Womanist Lectionary, because it's not often, in fact, I don't think ever does the Revised Common Lectionary hold up our gospel reading and this reading from Romans and this reading from Isaiah together. We don't really get to talk about this stuff. Thank you, Dr. Gaffney. So Rome, Paul's going to Rome from the east, coming to Rome on his way to go west. He wants to go to Spain because that's where all the good food is. He needs the church in Rome to fund his mission. This is why he wrote the epistle to the Romans. It's, a, it's ultimately about fundraising. But there's one problem. The church in Rome is a hot mess. See, Jews were kicked out of Rome under an emperor named Caligula. And when the Jews were kicked out, the Christians, the people who followed Jesus were kicked out with them. Because at this time, Jews and Jewish Christians still intermingled together. And that left this vacuum in the church. Well, Gentile Christians sort of kept the church going. And then when Caligula died and Nero was set up as the emperor, the Christians came back. Well, the Jewish Christians came back. And they came back into a church that was now centered and normed and ordered around Gentile proclivities. And there's evidence that there's all kinds of conflict between these Jewish Christians coming back into the church and these Gentile Christians. 
And Paul then, being at least 1,200 kilometers away, has to figure out how to get these two groups of people who don't like each other, they're at each other's throats, to get along so that they will give him money so he can reach the barbarians in Spain. And there's only one thing that Jews and Gentiles can agree on. It's that we don't, we don't want to take care of those dirty barbarians. You see the pastoral task here? It's asinine. So what does Paul do? Well, Paul sends his most famous, most theologically rich, most important letter he's ever written along with a woman named Phoebe. Paul tells us she's a deacon in the church of Sincrea and a benefactress. It means the church in Sincrea probably meets in her house and she leads it. My friend Nijay reminded me this week that Paul chose Phoebe, a leader from Sincrea, to carry this letter over other leaders in Corinth. Men named Stephanus, Fortunatus, Acacius, Gaius, Erastus, Crispus, and Cortus. All the other church leaders from Corinth, all the other men, Paul passed over lots of smart qualified, important dudes in Corinth and handpicked a woman not from Corinth five miles away to carry his letter. This is a big deal because she wasn't just the Roman Pony Express here. The courier had a task when they carried a letter. And that was to deliver the letter, to read or perform orally, maybe from memory. There's people who think Phoebe memorized this letter. To the churches, there were at least five churches in Rome. And as the courier, as someone authorized by Paul, he's, you see all the work he's doing at the beginning here? Like honor Phoebe? She would be the one who would read and expound and teach and explain and answer questions about what Paul had written. The first expositor of the book of Romans is a boss lady named Phoebe. Scott McKnight says it like this, letters in Paul's world were the embodied and scripted presence of the letter writer, and in this case, Paul. He chooses a woman to embody his letter, which means the face of Paul is experienced in the face of Phoebe. We don't even have time to get into the other women mentioned by Paul in Romans 16 who were leaders in the Roman church, but just hear their names, okay? Prisca, also known as Priscilla. Mary, Junia, an apostle. Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, Rufus's mom, Julia, Nerusus's sister, and sisters in the household of Asyncritus. Paul mentions at least 17 women in Romans 16, which is one-third of all the names mentioned. Thank God for Phoebe, who carried this letter 
at least 1,200 kilometers and taught and explained and answered and represented Paul and Christ to a church that was an absolute mess. Thank God Paul trusted her and thank God for Phoebe. Today, we proclaim the good news that women have been leading in the church a long time. Proclaiming good news, even priesting and profiting in the presence of powerful men. Church, God's spirit, God's authority isn't sequestered, sequestered into one gender. God's authority is given to everyone among us. Let us give thanks for the women in our midst. Finally, our gospel in Matthew. But Jesus said to them, why are you making this trouble for this woman? She has done something good for me. By pouring this balm on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Not only can women preach, that's not even a serious point of view, by the way, that women can't preach. If anyone tells you women can't preach the gospel, tell them about the woman of Zion or Phoebe or Priscilla or Junia or this unnamed woman. Tell them about the unnamed woman. So many women preach the gospel, we ran out of names to give them. Matthew says. But women, we see here in Matthew 26, can also prophet and priest too. Hang with me. First, let's talk about that one time Jesus said, for you will always have the poor with you, to chastise some dudes that were making trouble for women. I see this phrase, for you will always have the poor with you, does a lot of unhelpful work in our world. I hear it used to justify why our political economy creates wealth inequalities. Jesus said there would be gross uh, income and wealth inequalities. What are you complaining about? You ever heard that? I see it used to release Christians, you and me, from rectifying poverty as a social pathology. I see it used to see poverty as just something we have to live with until Christ returns. Notice how that logic gets used selectively. There's selectively problems that will just exist until Christ returns, and then there's other problems that we will do anything to rectify. And then fourth, this phrase is used to privilege spiritual realities over material things. As though material things are of a different order or a different kind than spiritual realities. This phrase in verse 11, used by Jesus, in this interaction would have reminded Jewish listeners of Deuteronomy 15.11, which says, listen to this, Poor persons will never disappear from the earth. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy. He's basically going, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. But listen to the rest of Deuteronomy 15. Poor persons will never disappear from the earth. That's why I'm giving you this command. You must open your hand generously to your fellow Israelites, to the needy among you, and to the poor who live with you in your land. The entire context of the first 11 verses of Deuteronomy 15 is the command to care for the poor. Do you see? 
When we quote this phrase out of context with Matthew 26 and Deuteronomy 15, we end up doing the exact opposite work that Jesus was intending to do. Can we stop misusing the poor you always have with you to justify not caring for the poor? Please. But there's something else I want to mention, something else that gets missed when we misuse Scripture like this. We fail to do what Jesus said and remember the unnamed woman. (laughs) The one who Jesus says will be remembered for what she has done for him, pouring expensive oil or nard or balm on Jesus' head. She doesn't get remembered for what she has done if we misuse Verse 11, we end up not doing what Jesus says to do. Notice that our misuse of Scripture impacts a woman in an undishonoring way. (laughs) So let's remember this unnamed woman together. She anointed Jesus' body for burial because she believed his predictions of his death before the apostles did and chose to grieve and prepare for it at a great cost to herself. But this image of her pouring oil on Jesus' head, there's an additional, it's an additionally provocative image that's going on here that I think makes more sense about why the apostles were really offended and more sense about how Jesus responded. Jesus is a king, remember? He's claiming kingship claiming lordship. One reason the apostles don't get that he's going to die is because that's not what kings do. Kings go to Jerusalem to take over, right? But we have the benefit of hindsight, that, and so we can see somehow the crucifixion of Jesus was his coronation, right? We can, we can look back and say, oh, of course, and then we're told in the story, you know, The disciples' eyes were opened and they understood what Jesus said after the fact. But this woman saw it before. She believed Jesus about his death and she saw that he was a different kind of king. So she anointed this king with oil on his head. Some of you Sunday school all-stars will remember that that's not the first time someone's anointed kings on their head with oil in the scriptures. Samuel, a priest, anointed both David and Saul. Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, anointed Solomon. Elijah and Elisha anointing all kinds of people. Hold up, wait a minute. This picture, this image, this unnamed woman did what priests and prophets do. She anointed Jesus ahead of his crucifixion and resurrection as king. So maybe, maybe the real problem that these dudes had with her is that she didn't know her place. She did what only men were supposed to do. She stepped into a priestly role, and that made the important, powerful dudes 
grumpy. If this is true, and I, you know, if this is true, maybe their offense at how much money she wasted isn't the real reason that they're upset. This happens today too. We get upset and triggered and we pull reasons from all over why we're upset and it's not the real reason. This would explain why Jesus quotes the scripture at them but brings the focus immediately back to her. She offended their notions of what women should or can do and not do. So let's give her some room. This unnamed woman needs space among us to be seen as the prophetic priest that she is. Maybe this is why, quote, wherever good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Now, I gotta, as we close here, I just have to admit that all week I was wrestling with, why doesn't Matthew name her? I want to I know her name. Uh, and, you know, John calls, in another anointing scene, John names a woman as Mary. So it's tempting just to call her Mary. But then I caught a thought. Maybe, just maybe, the reason why she remains unnamed and we're supposed to talk about her is because it's not about this woman. It isn't about one woman. But this unnamed woman is all women. That one time, remember, before the apostles could tell Jesus' death from a hole in the ground? That one woman stepped up and did the priestly prophetic act of anointing King Jesus for burial, which was actually his coronation? That one time, that unnamed woman who's all women chose to honor an honoring act of devotion? as a priestly, prophetic woman. And Jesus chose to ascribe honor to her and in fact teach and shame his apostles because she saw what they couldn't, she did what they wouldn't. She became the teacher to the teachers. She, the first priest in the priesthood of all believers. Let's remember that woman. Because in remembering her, we see all women. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.